Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Powinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. I think we're good. All right. Ah, so hoping you'd say all right. <laughs> like, how long does this go for? Hey, cool, man. Uh, it's good to have you here on a Sunday. I know, special day. Daniel messaged me this morning, and we've talked about this for a minute, about doing a Sunday fun day. So this is the first of many where we're just going to we're just going to go for whatever topic we've been, you know, sort of bringing along for the ride of, of know thyself, um, in the last year, probably here to just kind of talk about uh, a little more openly, I suppose. I can't yeah. even like formulate sentences. It's Sunday. I love it. It's Sunday fun day. Um, but more specifically, we'll be talking about Lord of the Rings. So I'm really excited because we've talked about, um, doing a breakdown of the movie, but also Daniel's going to be doing something, uh, later on with some videos that's going to be pretty great to see uh, once we probably go on and on about the meaning behind this great story. Right. You know? So, um, yeah, man, I'll ask you a ton of questions along the way, but like, let's just get into it. First of all, right before again, the podcast, we said, uh, when was the first time you were made aware of Lord of the Rings. And for me, it was the same time as you, and I had no idea. I, I just assumed that most people, I'd moved back to the U.S. and uh, from Mexico uh, when I was like in eighth grade. And so eighth grade had a lot of these moments where I was like, oh, no one introduced me to this artist or this, you know, um, the story or this um, allegory or, you know, and so forth. And so that was the same time as yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, man. It's so funny because eighth grade was just kind of a big time for us because that's when we met as well. Yeah, man. You know, um, so that's that's pretty awesome. And just to kind of piggyback on that first note, this is just kind of like a open-ended conversation to get it started because we are going to kind of break this down further on the Patreon. So we should be able to kind of have these conversations. But yeah, man, I remember because we cool. were in the eighth grade together. We were two little <coughs> punk rock skateboarders. And we were introduced to the Lord of the Rings by our English teacher. Yeah, man. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize then what she was doing. I do remember um, my mom was a teacher for a while. I was just telling Daniel that I just remember Miss Garvin, um, she had a way to explain things with a little more depth to them. Mm -hmm. But I always thought just that was her way of just teaching a class mm -hmm. because I would talk to her after hours. So I always thought like if she were was talking about um, the double meaning of something, it was just her personality. But when now you're talking about the Lord of the Rings and her and who she was, I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? She would have introduced us to us. So right. I don't think I knew what she was really putting out there when I first saw it. I think just as a kid, I think I just took it in as like, oh, we're watching this and this has some kind of fairy tale aspect to it. So why not? Yeah. That's kind of where I probably left it. I don't think I really like, my eyes weren't like, open to it where I was right. like, whoa, what right. is this, you know? Yeah, man. And that's something as a teacher, I feel like I need to always kind of remind myself when I'm presenting certain topics to students, mm -hmm. because again, the student is so formed, especially at that age, is so formed by their environment. So if thoughts of like consciousness and even the consciousness evolution is brought up to them, there's like no parameters for them sometimes to work with, you know? And that's how it was with me because there was nothing that was like catching on. Like, I don't remember being super excited about like watching this film, you know, like, cause we were just like little anarchists. We were just running around, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but also very interesting at this time, because again, the, the second book's called the two towers. It's funny how you group other things together because when we were in eighth grade it was 2001. Right. And so we spent nine 11 together at this school in this grade. Yep. And you know, when you ever think about, and I don't know if eighth grade was just so, revolutionary because i met so many new people that year and that was huge for me yeah like all the, a lot of these friend groups are still very much intact you know what i mean yeah. um but uh yeah i wonder what the interplay between like a traumatic event like that you know whatever that was um 
what that does to kind of the memory and just, you know, it really goes along with, especially that second story with the two towers. And when did that come out? The two towers? The movie? Yeah. Well, remember, this was the first movie that was kind of shot on the framework that they shoot miniseries for like Netflix now, because this was all shot at the same time. They, they did all three movies in one shooting. Yeah. So I think that one came out like a year later. So 2002, 2003, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when that movie would have come out. But yeah, because they didn't want the, like the characters, the age, and anything. They didn't. They had to make it look as like one continuous story. But that's really what it was. Like it was like how we kind of watch film today. You get these kind of mini series. You get these For like sure. nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one hour episodes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you're it's, absolutely right. It's different. It's different than how movies were done when we were growing up. Yeah, you know. And then the trilogy alone. The trilogy offers. The great thing about a trilogy, it offers so many different heroes' journeys that kind of unfold and so many other different stories. Where when you're working with like one movie, like The Wizard of Oz, even though those books go really deep into it, it was really kind of focused on, and again, everything was Dorothy in that film, but it's very much focused on Dorothy as the only character for the spiritual development. Where we see this in a trilogy, the cool thing is, is you get to see it in multiple characters. Yeah. Right? And you get to see mirror images a little bit more and. uh yeah, so that's what kind of makes this a a unique thing in itself. And again, this is why so many stories are told in a trilogy. Yeah, kind of setting, for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, again. I'm glad that we're we're covering it with this, and I'm sure once the videos come out, you'll do a, like a super deep dive into the the esoteric meanings and sort of. I think the meaning that everyone agrees on, like all the way from my, uh, the ring itself to that all-seeing eye of evil and its relationship to like other um individuals that hold such power you know uh, mm-hmm. and have held such power and you know and then of course the author and so like later on i ended up watching this movie again a few times i remember the mistake i made to make your point about the trilogy aspect because so i watched the first one because my, my younger brother had them all just one because my, my younger brother had them all my brother saying to me um you need to watch these um, back to back, it'll make a little more sense. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never did. Mm. And I remember how hard <clears throat> when the two towers came out, I remember when that came out, I was like, holy cow. Like, I just, like, I don't remember taking the first one as seriously as like, this one's making me feel. Mm. And I don't, I don't remember why, but it, it was heavier than mm-hmm. the rest. And I know it's like set up that way. And then you, so you have to watch the third to have that sort of resolution. So you're absolutely right. These trilogy movies, kind of like the dark Knights from, um, what's his face? Um, Christopher Nolan? Christopher yeah, Nolan. Yeah, yeah. He does a great job at, obviously, uh, giving the the idea of the story and, and doing the, like, the shadow work, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. that's all really in there. Um, but yeah, man, so, like... You know, Christopher Nolan's a... He's a Luciferian. Oh, interesting. That's his philosophy. And again, Luciferian, people kind of jump, it, like, it can kind of jump, but there's dark Luciferians and there's light Luciferians. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. We're, I'm sure Christopher Nolan's kind of like a gray, which most people in that kind of world are. Um but um, that's kind of the philosophy that comes through with the Batman movies. And it's a really beautiful, you know, we, sure. we need to talk about. We still Crazy. haven't done that Lucifer episode. <clears throat> I think it's just such a big one that that will be a multiple week one as well. I suppose. But it is a lot to cover. I mean, go ahead. Oh, no, but I was going to say on that aspect of, you know, polarity of where the stories come from. One of the cool things about Lord of the Rings is it's very much on the light side of of the these esoteric for stories. Sure, for you sure. know what I mean? If there's you know, there's so many that kind of go in that dark and the gray, this is kind of like restoring that balance as well. Yeah. Um you know, we really were kind of even though they're not the same stories, but in your minds you kind of group and we were kind of talking about the polarity difference between this and Game of Thrones. Mm. You know, where Game of Thrones has some esoteric significance to it, but it it wasn't really folk it was it wasn't as deep. It wasn't as it wasn't as pure as Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? And we even see that with like the initiation of like all the female actresses having to, you know, do those kind of scenes and stuff. Yeah. Cause like some of them want to, but some of them don't, but that's their way right. they advance in that world, you know? For sure. So, um, but I'm not saying that it's always like that. Some people want to like express art that way and that's totally fine for them. But um, I don't think that's how Hollywood's really set up. It's not really like an artistic thing, you know? Yeah. Um, no, you don't just suddenly appear just for no reason. They're like, oh, you, you have mm-hmm. a great, great of act, way of acting. Like, here you go. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a way to yeah, get there's there. There's the steps, yeah. Um, and everybody, they go through it on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. 
But so that's what's great when you see a light film come out, like yeah. Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? And it's just such a such a powerful, powerful story. The archetypes are just so distinct. The hero's journey is intact with multiple characters. And it's just the ultimate story about not only conquering external evil, evil, but that internal evil. For sure. You know, which is what we know to to be the show. Sunday fun days, it's a bumpy boat, I guess. I guess so, man. I like how you call it a bumpy boat. Um, well, dude, we should start with... I like the the way you're setting it up because it is it does have that that polarity. Like definitely um the author did a great job at like expressing that and you and I were talking about when when he was living and during the time he wrote the book and when he released the book because I think it was like from like the late 30s to the or the late 30s to like the late 40s was when I think he was creating the series, right? Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, I think so. Um but now they talk about how he relates um so much of what was going on in World War II to the way he puts the people in, in his stories. And without even knowing that, <clears throat> I like that when you go and you just watch the movie, if you didn't know anything about the movie, immediately there is um, a feeling of this journey will be long, but there will be a resolution of some kind. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it inspires right off the bat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, especially like when Frodo meets Gandalf and like that mm-hmm. whole exchange, you're just like, okay, what is about to happen here? Like, you know, it's like, oh, I won't take this ring. You need to take this ring. It's like, right. oh, whoa. Like <clears throat> this guy's already like, you know, letting him having to, to do it his way or on his own. Um, but yeah, so like we'll start there, I guess. Right. I don't know. Where do you want to go from here with the movie? You know, like, yeah, I mean, because I know everyone has their hero's journey, right? Like, we see multiple kind of developing. You know, Frodo is yeah. kind of the obvious one. Aragon's going to be another one, and then Sam's hero's journey, which is like really beautiful. Because if you really start watching those films, and that's that was kind of cool because we were just talking about, you know, when have you seen these films? And before I started the podcast, we started doing this. It's been a couple of years since I've seen these films, so I've I've kind of mm-hmm. spoken about them already a little bit. But as I went back, there was parts that I completely forgot. And one of those was just how influential Sam is to the story. Ooh. Because Sam is just, he, he. not only is he the protector of Frodo, but he is always on the path. And he's he lives very close to that ring. People just being around that ring, yeah. it was changing them. Sam spent the most time around that ring other than Frodo, in at least in that leg of the journey, right? Mm-hmm. The, the ring had a really long life, but within that time period. And Sam stays true to, to like all the way to the end. And he's also got his hero's journey because, you know, you think about Sam in the very beginning, he's too afraid to ask the pretty girl to dance. Right. And by the time they come home, he went through this experience. He's now married with her and they have children. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Sam had this really amazing kind of beautiful story. So we have multiple hero's journeys, cool. you know, and then yeah. even the spiritual journey of Gandalf, we're going to see. Yeah. The death and the resurrection. Yeah, that's intense. Right, from from the gray to the white. And yeah. what was this film all about? It was about the white, you know? Yeah. It was really about that step to that pure, sacred side. Yeah. Not, and it's, um, yeah, it's just so, it's so evident. And that's, yeah. again, it's just a great mirror of a film. For sure, for sure. But um, the kind of touch, too, on the time period... Not only was he, you know, he was growing up in World War II, but he experienced World War One. Yeah. And by accounts, you know, World War II, there was more destruction done and there was more deaths. But when it when it comes to like brutality, I think World War One is almost agreed upon that it kind of stands alone because yeah. there was so much new technology at this time. We never used this, this technology in battle before. And the strategy of battle was still based off of the musket. So you were almost kind of like running at each other again. Yeah. But now it's, they have like machine guns, they have barbed wire, they have poison gas, like dogs, like just warfare lost its, I don't want to say virtue, but it's like, it's, yeah. it was like a gentleman's Ethics, yeah. thing kind of thing. And it kind of just turned into this really, really brutal. And again, all war is brutal, right? right? And it doesn't matter if you spice it up with like form and everything. It's just brutal. But this was a really, really destruction of like the human spirit for sure is going to kind of get expressed through world war one so he he experienced world war one and then he watched world war two and was watching the same thing happen and that's really what's going to be 
the embodiment of this Sauron energy and that and just that hate and that fear and that death, right. un, unnecessary sacrifice, just that un, that pain is what's going to represent with that ring for sure. And the ring is so unique because even when you look at the ring, the ring has is Sauron's energy in it, mm-hmm. but the ring also has its own energy. It's almost like two different characters involved in one. Right. So when you actually really think about the hero's journey, you see the inversion of this because there's also the ring's hero's journey to try to return home, to complete its cycle, right? And its cycle of destruction, right? But love is what's going to overcome that. And it's, it's not even Frodo's love at the end. Yeah. It's Golem. Golem's hate. Like Frodo gets to see a snapshot of what he was going to become because who ends up grabbing that ring, you know, and falling into the thing. And it's just such a cool film too, because you have Gandalf who's like this, almost like political master, mm-hmm. you know, he's always sending people, he can't do anything, all of it himself. So he's moving the pieces of the chessboard, like yep. a chess master, which is really beautiful. And he even has a great quote about Gollum, that Gollum plays a bigger part in all of this. And that would be the only downside of Sam is because Sam really wanted to kill Gollum. But if there wasn't Gollum at the end, because Frodo gave into temptation, right. right? And Gollum's the one that just like takes it and jumps in. Um, and it's, it's interesting because Frodo kind of gets to see a snapshot of what he would have become. Yep. You know? And, um, yeah, it's the most human experience of the result of like taking on that energy and taking on that, that power. Cause he has to kill his friend, you know, like when they show you the story of how he kills his friend. His brother. On his birthday, right? Or his, his brother. It's he kills? cause to get the ring initially. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's his brother. brother. Okay. Yeah. And that's gnarly. I mean, that, that, that in itself is already an act of, of this betrayal to the self mm. and, and that, moment of taking over that power, right. you know, and that's the same power that takes over, um, uh, uh, what's his name? I just lost his name. Golem? No, Sor- um, Sauron. Sauron. Yeah. yeah. Like the same, you know, the, the power just taking over. But in this case, like Frodo gets to see like, oh my gosh, like this guy was not that far away from someone that I like. Right. Could recognize myself. You right. Know? Right. Cause he was a, um, what is Frodo again? I can't believe I think, can't think of what Frodo is. Oh my gosh. A hobbit. Yeah. Right. Frodo's a hobbit, right? So, um, yeah. But yeah. And when you talk about that brother, this is, again, Tolkien had this really rich understanding of like all esoteric history, but he's just telling the Cain and Abel story. Oh, okay. That's what the story of Golem's about. It's the retelling of the Cain and Abel story. And that's, again, why this movie is so, why this book and why this story is such an implant on your consciousness. Because again, he's touching all of those right. aspects. It's almost like they give you like a in these movies, it's almost like a deep tissue brain massage. It is. Uh, and it, it, cause do what does it do? It's releasing energies. It's great. New pathways, pathways you maybe never seen before. And that's what these films and these stories really do. It almost is like a deep, great massage, but it also can be like this entertainment thing where you can just release dopamine, which is like a movie that doesn't follow a path of like right. character growth. Right. You know, there's two different sides to that. So, and I'm not saying every movie has to be about the hero's journey, but you know, there's there's scales and even comedy. There's scales and you know what I mean. There's totally. there's a, a good way to do comedy, and there's yeah. also other ways that it's destructive to human consciousness. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. So, but yeah, and then then Tolkien. Let's just like the conversation about Tolkien, right? Because he he creates a whole language, that elf language. He yeah. creates a whole language, you know. So he's a real master of language too, and. He has a lot of study of etymology through through like Lord of the Rings. And he was just a master of, he obviously had some, because he was very devout, like a Christian. Mm-hmm. But he obviously has significance and connections to the Druids, you know, Eastern mysticism, even Western mysticism, like yeah. a lot of Nordic understanding. So just as a... Just that character himself. They made a movie about him, didn't they? Like, it's called Tolkien. I haven't seen it. Okay. But I think uh, it's been made, and I sh- okay. we really should check it out. Maybe that will be the next conversation we could have. Because he's he's a fascinating soul just himself, his whole journey. And he was good friends with C.S. Lewis. Which is crazy. Right. Yeah. Just those. Can you imagine those conversations those guys were probably just No, there's just recordings dropping. of Tolkien that I want to listen to that were found. I don't know where they were found. Um and he just kind of talks about like the, the journey that of writing this book, writing this story. Right. Um, and all the characters in it. And that's what 
that's what I love about this. The whole story is that like to be able to, like you're saying about how, when you watch a film, you can have that massage. Yeah. And I think that's amazing when someone knows how to do that with a story. Cause if it's coming from a single writer, you know, like all of that's coming from different pathways of that one person's brain, but they all connect to the same, which is us. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, and so that's one person inviting you into a world that you can relate to because it's written by, by and for the all. So it's kind of nuts. So when you listen to like this journey of middle earth and then the person that you are, um, and what you're facing, um, like for me, uh, Soren, like what scares me about that. I remember when I watched the movie was just like, Oh, this is so real. Like that can happen. Like people that the drunkenness of power is something that's always been in our subconscious or at least like introduced from the time we have taken our first breath that it exists. It's like monsters exist and like things of, of greater power, um, with this evil exists. And when I watch this movie, it kind of just like, oh, I just remember how it made me feel that I'm like, Oh my God, if it does get lost and the good doesn't fight back, this does take over. And when it takes over, this is, um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, a story and, uh, and a movie at the same time as you're watching it with this amazing, uh, these amazing graphics. I remember the, the effects of the movie, but it really hits these spots where you're like, Oh, this is man. And it's most savage. Like this is like us trying to protect something good and everyone unifying everyone on the good side, unifying to fight the evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, uh, but yeah, that's what made me freaked out about the dark energy is that mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh wow. Like here's a representation of it's like, full potential if it's not like tamed or at least the journey with all of us doesn't happen sooner because then you can't face it, you know? Right. Or you won't face it. Um, yeah. 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 And you make a great point on that, just how powerful that energy was. But I think the, also the great noticing in that aspect is how fast it happens. Yeah. Right. Because it's, I believe it's Bilbo Baggins when he puts on the ring to disappear again it's like what wakes up that connection back with Sauron. And that's what kind of creates that darkness really like starting to move and manifest. And I could be wrong. Cause I, you know, I have to, I do have to admit, I've never read the books. Unfortunately, that's going to be something. Then we'll do a whole different podcast. So this is really kind of concentrated on the movie, but I, I believe it's when he puts that ring back on to kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. Cause that kind of like wakes it, up the yeah. connection again because it hasn't been used in so long. Yeah. So it had no life to work through, no you know electrical right, right. current to connect through, and how fast that darkness grows, and it just takes over everything. And yeah, again, this this story is definitely an internal like analogy, right? Allegory. So it just shows how destructive forces within us have that ability just to start infecting everything. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And like everything this ring represents, right? Yeah. Is like with that temptation. Because temptation is, that's like what this whole movie is about is temptation. And there's a lot of people who kind of gone, put in research and kind of spoke about it. Yeah. And as I've been kind of watching other things, it's, they make a great point. It's temptation is, it's what, it's that uncontrollable temptation where the, the end isn't, the means isn't going to justify the end, mm-hmm. but you still do it for that power for those. That's, that's what I was talking about fearing. That's yeah. exactly what, what I meant is like the whole uh, duration of the movie, you feel the angst that maybe the ring would probably possess over you by like how much it's introduced during the journey that Frodo's carrying it. And those, you know, are like tempted by it. Cause you're just like, Oh my God, you know, like if it's mm-hmm. making people do this, like I wonder, and so you kind of almost feel it. So, uh, that's what made me feel again on edge when I watched this, because it's like, that's so real. So mm-hmm. close to home to have power that hasn't been messed with, be brought back into, uh, fruition again, and then use that for just like complete evil do- domination, you know, for just like this. And I can, you said an end result, that's not going to really do anything, but it's like, I'm still going for it anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we all have that in us, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I, uh, it's the, it's the drunk power. So like the way I connect to this, uh, with, with why it spooks me is like I, where I've seen in myself, I'll give you an example. I remember driving on the freeway once and this guy in Arizona, people can be super aggressive. I remember this guy was coming onto the lane, um, 
on the shoulder, he was passing everyone illegally. So he was coming super fast and I couldn't wait to make eye connection with him. And my lovely uh, partner just like caught me about to just try to eye sort of like aggressively take this power over me and just be like, what are you doing kind of thing? And she like got in front of it, like, just like, hi. And I was like, oh my God. And I could, I honestly couldn't direct what, whatever I was going to do with this energy had to be stopped in that moment because she threw herself in it. And I was like, how did you know I was going to do that? She's like, well, I just knew based on what you just said, like, oh, this guy is driving mm-hmm. like an idiot. Right. And so anyways, think, think of that moment where I don't know what I was going to do with that. I don't know why I was going to impose my, my disappointment onto someone else or my will, but that, whatever that is, but the energy is powerful. It's like mm-hmm. super, like it just sort of generates quickly and you're like, I'm going to give it a piece of my mind. But anyways, that's what I'm talking about in my opinion, is represented in the movie as far as the all power from the ring and then the one who wants to get the ring and then the power that wants to be um, on top in order to destroy the world that's that's in front of you in the movie. And I just like, that's the kind of stuff that I relate to because mm-hmm. it's sort of that's the way they portray it. When talking about this misogyny that they do in the movie, it's very, it's true because you feel it. It's like, oh, I know how that would make me feel or I know how that would, you know, and it's very human. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that made sense. I think it made total sense, man. And that's such a good point when you were talking about like how you feel it internally from the characters, because Frodo's journey is very much like shadow work, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's like carrying this burden. It's just like, and it's like a painful process and it kind of breaks him down. And I think it's very much an allegory of, we see his like shadow work happening, right? Where Aragorn's um, hero's journey is more of like becoming who he needs to be. Right. Because he's part of that holy order and he needs to retake the throne, become the king, you know, the return of the king, right. which is the third movie. Yeah. Um, but Frodo's is very much the internal shadow work. And I think that's why Frodo's is the scariest story. Yeah. Emotionally draining. You know, and that shows again, Sam being on that journey himself, but being that ultimate ally and the ultimate sidekick through there. Totally. Shows, you know, the importance of relationships, the importance of friendship, fellowship. That's the first movie. Like, we, we've already been able to categorize what each film or which, which book is about just by the title, right? right? Fellowship of the Ring. And that's what that whole first movie is really about. It's just about community. Yeah. Everybody working together to defeat evil. Right. Right. And you do, you have the elves yeah with the, uh, you know and the, the all um, the different tribes are like okay this is a common the right goal here we have to like unify on right but remember the ring because they were all fighting over it they couldn't it would destroy one of them if one of them would have just focused on it if it was just the elves and they yeah. tried to do it they would have the same problem like they would fall into it it would take over them so it's really important for it to be, again, Frodo to be this individual that's going to be the carrier. And he's almost like the hope. Yeah. It's that sacred son kind of thing. And it's who everybody kind of works around. But yeah, the fellowship of the ring and that community and that connection working together. It's an endless story. And it's something we could be doing such a better job of right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. But, you yeah. know, that's the kind of thing about this Sauron evil is you can kind of see it. But then it doesn't. Then it you know, starts working through like that king when he gets possessed. And yeah. I think that, you know, we see that. But that, I think that's kind of the problem with where we're at today is we can't just recognize the Sauron energy where it is. You know, everybody has to have like, oh, no, it's these people. It's that people. And then you're like, I might if it's all these people, but it's, it's just, just this dis- energy. Yeah, it's been dispersed, though, like exactly. strategically. And that's what yep. sucks. And that's what sucks. Like, oh. Because somebody could it's be free still- in so many spots of their brain, but they can have this hold back. Right. This tie down. Because they tied it. They tied the ropes down when they did the creation of the brain with multiple different ropes. So even as you cut rope and you free yourself, mm-hmm. there's still other spots that are controlled and indoctrinated. For and sure. It's really tough, you know? So, yeah, I mean, again, that's part of the process and yeah. you kind of see that through the film and it's never going to be an easy thing. And that's what we've kind of talked about this hero's journey and the know thyself journey as of this point. It's not an easy thing no. to, you know, go face to face with these things like fear and temptation, but just such a beautiful way that they're able to develop all the characters 
and just so many all the paths how how the paths get illuminated and we oh, just yeah. really see this inter interplay in this dance of the archetypes i guess you could say and again it just shows just how well versed tolkien was in esoteric that's sciences yeah right? that's what's the craziest man it's like you go back and you meet all the characters and i know that when you probably put some stuff together with the videos that are um, going to describe each of those characters, the, all three films will have their sections where you're like, this is like, you just said it yourself with the fellowship. Like, I love that he even has his, um, not a hierarchical stance, but he kind of has this, the, that hero's journey is sort of set up to where we can all relate to at the very mm -hmm. plain bottom to then mm -hmm. where it's going to end up and doing that through, especially Frodo is like one of those moments where you're like, and you almost feel alone, but again, you have Sam, you have Gandalf, they have all these people guiding you uh, throughout the series. So I'm excited to hear what you have to kind of like say about each of them and their role. But um, that Soren energy, I was going to ask, is that um, earlier when you were talking about Christopher Nolan being a Luciferian, is he the representation of Lucifer, Soren? Because he's like this all power being before he becomes that all seeing eye. He's like kind of drunk with power. Like, is he a fallen angel of some kind? Like, how do you see that? he's written in before he becomes the all eye, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say on the, that's a great question, man. But on the scale of how that would work, he would be definitely obviously a dark Luciferian. Totally. But he wouldn't be a Satanist. Right. He would be a dark Luciferian, which would make sense because he's going to represent both those energies of Mars and Saturn. And that was in the, so it's, you can have that interplay that kind of happens. Right. And that's kind of what a more of a Luciferian kind of, especially a dark Luciferian uses. Well, light Luciferians will use all the planets because they're balanced magicians. Right. But, um, but if you were going to be that dark Luciferian, yeah, it's going to be Mars and Saturn and then some Mercury too. Yeah. Because why not, you know, yeah. to get the jokester involved and he would For do sure. that. But yeah, that's a great question. That that's what that would represent because it's not so much Santanic, it would be more Luciferian because there's there's kind of a plot behind everything. And yeah. you know, he's moving a lot of different pieces. He's it's also the that's like the dark chess master that Gandalf's really playing against. Hmm. You know, because hmm. he it is that other wizard wizard that turns and I just can't think of his name right now. Um, but I will will definitely kind of break that down. But he was the the white wizard of the high council, but he turns to Sauron, he kind of sells his soul. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think that's exactly how that whole system works, is there's just players that are pulled into the situation, used to push the agenda, and then are either kept around or just dispelled for. But it doesn't matter because it's a, a bigger operation behind the players. Right. And that's why we're not just going to... Um, Saruman, thank you. Thank you, my friend. You got it, man. You're the best, Saruman. So yeah, that's going to be the wizard that he has the fall. Right. Right? He's going to be the one that falls from the light into the darkness for control, for power. And we're going to see a lot of different players that are going to just, again, it's like taking on that dark energy and letting that work through you. And that's kind of what we've been talking about through this alchemical process, because all we're doing is taking conscious energy and having it work through us. For sure. So the energy whether it's love or fear is working through you anyways. It just depends on, you know, what one are you going to express? Yeah. And like, where are you going to recharge from? Where are you going to recharge like, from? With the energy you're pulling in to, to be here and to be present and to have this moment where you can like replicate that, like thing we always talk about, which is like the universe itself, like bringing it back to harmony. That's exactly what Soren like loses completely of. He's just like, Oh, I'm so drunk with power. Now I'm just this one eye that sees only evil and, does no longer see um, what was once before this harmony, you know, like he, he can't even go back to that. It's kind of this like gnarly abyss that he's created of himself. It's, but it's still an energy that, that can control and move things right. and people can get behind. And that's, what's really um, interesting about when he ends up falling into those dark powers, that wizard. I remember when I first watched the movie, I was like, Oh, I don't understand why someone would do that. And then as you get older with, anything you want to relate to as far as politics go or like the path a man takes um, um, or and women, but I should say more like an example that if you've seen politically speaking, a man can take, which is like, I'm going to harness this energy, find a way to kind of stand by it and not claim that I'm, you know, I, that I am that dark energy. I'm just utilizing it to get what I need. And, um, and that's how people like, obviously in, in our country and other countries, um, use that expression instead right. of like 
helping the the common good. And, just, and that's like a battle we see all the time where people are kind of banging their heads going, well, why has anyone stopped this? And it's a great question. It's like, why, why hasn't there been a shift? But I think the shift has already like begun a long time ago. It's just a matter of like figuring out how to work through it, you know, but. Oh man, you there's two things. And I hope I remember the second one because I brought up <laughs> some really good stuff. And the first thing I want this to talk about was the recharge. Cause I like how you said that. Where do you recharge from? Yeah. You know, and I think that darkness that dark energy that's so appealing about that is the recharge might be easier because you can do it through pain fear. You can do it through these other yeah. aspects where the love is you have to be balanced. You have to do the work for yourself. That's why like Yoda, when Luke asked about the dark side, he says, what one's stronger. Right. Right. You know, he says, Oh no, they're nuts. It's just one's easier. Yeah. One's more elusive. And that's kind of what that Saruman kind of falls into. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a, that's a perfect story. And then, I loved what you talked about, like, oh, why isn't why isn't this happening? Why aren't we organizing against this energy? Because this is obviously a foretelling of what the future was going to bring, because this is an individual token who's looking at patterns mm-hmm. and is kind of laying out kind of what he saw as this like rapid modernization modernization, the destruction of nature. We see very evident in his story as this is bad. We're losing again nature. Yeah. With Saruman is what he loses as well. So we really have this foretelling of the coming of an end of an age. Yeah. And one thing that's really stressed in this story is at the end of every age, darkness's power solidifies, but it doesn't mean it perseveres. It's just the darkness gets the strongest at the end of an age to determine, you know, again, free will, if it overcomes it, will overcome it at the start of the new age and take on that new age, but also this destruction can. But this is when, in the the ebb and flow of creation, this is kind of when evil can solidify within that pattern. Yeah. So we can see this evil fear energy and the ability to manipulate and control very prominent at the end of ages. And that's exactly what we're going through now. Mm-hmm. You know, so this was, and that's what they're going through in the story. It's the end of the age. Like the elves are leaving. Yeah. The magic creatures are leaving. And what this represents is, this is the time in the biblical past. This is prehistory. This is when men, like they say, they walked with angels and they walked with monsters because form hadn't taken shape yet. So form is more, more fluid. Right. And now as the earth is cooling down and as consciousness is evolving, we're going to go from this prehistory area to the historic period. And that's when history starts. But we are always getting retold about how long humans were here, where humans were, where civilizations were. The Smithsonian history on it is very limited. And it's been, it's kind of, it's like a thumbnail, like finger through, like this is human history, but it's, it's very, it's not the whole universal approach to that. Yeah. Right. There's, there's probably more that's happening. So this is talking about the age when the humans take over mm-hmm. the beginning of the human era, history, his story. And it's the beginning of an age, and we see this ultimate showdown between good versus evil, light versus dark. Right. This is he's talking about the age we were coming in. He saw the patterns. He knew this wasn't just going to be a flash in the pan thing. Like he saw World War One, and they saw within twenty years they were able to do it again. Yeah. You know, this time though, they got more control. They put more feelings behind the word because that's what they they realized that after world war one they said you know we didn't make this war about anything we got them in the fight but it was hard to get support because it wasn't about anything right so as those social engineers moved on they're like oh you need to get people either afraid of other people or you need to make it there needs to be manipulation of the masses to really get into like a full war effort and he saw this this is the energy that he saw with sauron working with yeah you know yeah Controlling people, infiltration, and everything's manipulation, mm-hmm. right? And even just like how the ring, it's like this eternal life, but if you separate from it, you age very quickly. Yeah. Right? Bilbo doesn't age at all. And then once he gives the ring to Frodo, and we see him later in the story, he's become a very old man. Yep. He's at his, like, a, I think it's his 111th birthday. Yeah. It's very interesting because it's his 111th birthday, and it's, they don't mention this in the movie, but I know it's in the book. It's Frodo's 33rd birthday on the same day. They don't mention that in the movie. Wow. Right? And there's some other, and I want to say it was on the 22nd. There's a lot of occult numbers about about that first. Exactly. 
Yeah. And that's, that's probably one of the beauty things about reading the book and kind of breaking down the book. Cause I, you'll see a lot more of that. And then when you go through the Peter Jackson film, you'll be able to see where he kind of plants that. Cause he obviously was a big fan of the book. Um, I did kind of hear a funny thing though, and you would appreciate this as a filmmaker. There's a scene though, where Sam and Frodo are, they get picked up by these one individuals and they're taken to the city, but they actually had to do this for the film to make everything fit. So this doesn't happen in the book. And there's a scene and Sam is like on the watchtower and like all this chaos is going on. And he's just like, we're not even supposed to be here. And it's an ode to the people that read the book. Peter Jackson was like, not in his head. Because if you read the book, you're like, you're not supposed to be there. But yeah. Sam, again, Sam knows he's got that intuition. Sure. It's not Frodo saying, it's just that Sam, it's that that guiding friendship energy and just sacrificing his own life for Frodo and mm-hmm. just takes care of him the whole time and really comes back and has that completeness. I feel like everybody in there, well, everyone should watch this movie multiple times. I think that media like this should always be taken a little more seriously for um, for the sake of like the way you're bringing this up for our children and then their children to be like, it's okay to watch this and have an understanding of it. And then it's okay to watch it later on and have an understanding of it and so forth. Just like the Bible, I'm sure. Um, and in the regards to like what your upbringing might've had, you know, as far as stories to relate to where your subconscious can connect to, cause that's really all it is. You know, it's like, if you were born into Judaism or you were born into whatever religion or category you're, you're from Hinduism, you will have these stories that are sort of backlogged in the back of your mind. And these movies, um, do that same thing that pulls it up to the front and with Frodo, like watching in our thirties, like I can't tell you how many friends I've had right now in their thirties go through some shifts in their lives that are just like either not terrifying, but they're kind of like, Oh my gosh, like this was bound to happen. Um, and like, I've, I've met people who like either accept it cause they see it happening or they go, what the hell is happening? And, um, that's kind of, I feel with the responsibility of like, these got to carry with the ring and what he has to do on this quest is say, mm. he's like, no, 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 I don't need this. Like my life's good right now. Oh, I'm, I'm hanging out. And then that's why he, re- he, I think he gives it to Gandalf again. I was like, yeah, no, that's for you, man. Like I, I can't, if I had that, like, I'll just, I'll be ultimate destruction. Like, right. It's like you need to take this journey on your own. But I just feel like what I'm saying is like where it hurts me in those back to massaging. I still like how you said massaging the mind with these movies back to what touches these patterns in your heart. Um, you can feel that when you're hanging out with certain friends, you're just like, Oh my God. Or like, even like relatives, like, I'm like brothers, whoever sisters, you're just sort of like, Oh, your perspective is like where I've either been on this journey or I haven't been on it yet. And so again, watching this movie and what Tolkien did with the story before the movie, um, uh, or the book series, I mean, is just incredible how he's just using this, this same source that we can all connect to that indicates you know how we not should necessarily should feel but how we're feeling all together you know what i mean like right. here's this scene that causes this emotion and i'm putting it into your subconscious but you know what i'm talking about because you have experienced it or maybe you haven't yet but you're going to or you're you're about to or you are in this moment right now so people are right. like oh my god this book has you have to read this you know what i mean like mm-hmm. um like i remember reading lord of the flies like years later when i was like i don't know i think it was like in my early 20s and i was like oh my god and i was having this um, this moment with it but um something like these trilogies like with lord of the rings i should say um it can keep unfolding for like the young mm-hmm. and then the people in their 30s like where we're at right now and then further than that you know what i mean because mm-hmm. everyone's having their journey kind of you were saying about bilbo in the end it's just like his his journey has come to an end like it's now time for him to sort of like mm-hmm. ease up and rest and and let the that energy pass on to the next that needs to like finish Frodo. the journey. Yeah. And that's yeah. Frodo. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's where I'm at right now. When, when I see the movies, I'm just making it relatable to the people that I know, um, or friends that I had that I don't, that I'm no longer friends with, you know, um, they could, because they didn't want to be on that journey. Mm-hmm. You can be someone Sam, but you, you know, sometimes you want that in, in return and you don't get it. So you're just like, Oh, like, I think I'm okay now without having to be with this person. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen to me. And a lot of these people have fallen into this energy that we were talking about where like when you get recharged, this energy comes from just pure resentment or like really dark places. And you can't like, 
you can't stop them from feeling that way, but you want to like divert that energy back. Like, no, no, recharge from over here, but it's so much harder. Yeah. Cause it's like having to find this like fountain um, that doesn't exist out in the, in the woods. And you're like, no, no, if you just get there, you'll feel better. You'll re-energize from a place of good. But they're like, no, this one's right here mm-hmm. at my dispense, which is like anger and resentment and like all mm-hmm. these things that are occurring. So like it kind of happens with Frodo and his journey kind of see like how he could either stay or he has to go and he doesn't get to stay. He has to go and then face all this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. Like, perfect. That was a great way to put that though. Cause that's exactly. It's intense. It's intense. Yeah. And great point too. Cause you bring it up the age and everything, because it's, this is right behind his Saturn returns. Oh shit. Right. And that's what we were talking about, taking on those responsibilities. And we were kind of describing that friendship thing about the individuals that aren't, it's just the people that didn't take their Saturn return seriously. And now that Saturn's coming back, you know, you have to pay the piper. So he's going to kind of come back. So just a fascinating, again, Tolkien has an understanding of astrology. He has the understanding of patterns. The number 33 again is really prevalent in so many secret societies. Again, 33 being in Fahrenheit degrees, the temperature that melts ice. Right. And that's like the temperature that melts the ice around your heart. It's the illuminated levels of Freemasonry and it kind of keeps climbing, you know, like right. we spoke about. Um, but yeah, just so powerful that that's, that's what they're speaking about in that, you know, cause nothing's an accident when it comes to numbers and a story written by somebody who studies etymology and mythology. For sure. They're, they're just not going to just throw out random numbers, even if it's, the time of day that they say there's, there's significance to it. Right. You know, and that's always in a kind of a pattern to also be looking at as we kind of get these like esoteric lenses going through these movies, because you'll see that a lot on clocks on the wall, days circled on calendars. There's always a reason why that, that kind of stuff fits in the films. So as we kind of go back and watch these films, looking for those, those little almost, I don't, I think I use this term wrong, but those like little Easter eggs of occult information and those little nuggets that like a lot of them in the matrix, a lot of them in old soul Star Wars, right. movie, you know, those kind of things. But, um, but yeah, man, it's, this story is just, it is so such a connection to that perennial philosophy. Yeah, it's exactly right. right the perennial philosophy. You know? Yep. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, it reminds me. So, like, one of the things that I like about all of the stuff we ever talk about on the podcast, what we've talked about before that, and what sort of we already knew lied within our uh, unconscious. So, when you'd watch such a movie, you're like, oh, there's more to this than, than the characters I just learned about. Like, I'm, I'm connected to them in a way that is as obvious to me as, as it is obvious to you. And someone's like, yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, especially when you're a kid, right? You can, like, agree, like, oh, these characters and, you know. Um, but, like, I... I like that the potential for film is that it stands where 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 it's been created. It, it'll remain unless you can't like find a device to watch it on anymore um, because a book you can always read, you know. So let's just go to like a, a story itself. Like so, the book or the movie. When there's a void in society, I feel like the hunger that we must sort of like really dig for sort of surfaces back up that allows us to be inquisitive and sort of absorb that information a lot more like, easily. So like, like the Romans, like the, like stoicism, like, like being stoic, you know, like that many of the philosophers that came out of that Roman period will say that that was like the blanket that warmed them during like a very cold time in history where it's like, like people were just brutal to each other. And like, there was this plague going on. And I remember there's all this stuff that I read about when all that was happening. And so that same kind of philosophy you know, it was aiding a whole group of people coming out of that that era, uh, philosophers from that era, um, because of the void and because of the pain. And so just like, you know, the story with Lord of the Rings, I feel like, yeah, it was written in its time and it pertained to that energy that was really bad. Um, but as it keeps in time, so it's still available now, mm-hmm. it reaches people, I think, a lot deeper and faster because of the contrast right now that's going on, which is there's more darker energy sort of harnessing in, in places that are more obvious than before. But then you're like, oh, there's these, like, I like how you said Easter eggs, but there's like these almost Easter eggs in the century that are dropped off for you where it's like, hey, like mm-hmm. 
pay attention to the story that I'm telling you here because it might resonate with you a lot more than you know and a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. You know, where before things are sort of the way they were when we were transitioning between the, the late the 90s into the 2000s, that's when we just started feeling that shift. I mean, it was such an interesting shift because everything was fine, right? Like I ate dinner at this time and Full House was on at this time at this at these hours of the day and nothing else really mattered. I don't know who um, is, uh, I knew who was president actually when I was a kid, but I, I, that's like all I knew. And I just remember there was no real like shift that I saw in like energies and with my parents or anybody that, um, I, I deemed as an adult at the time, but these movies though, they're there. So like when that shift happens and you need something to, um, kind of guide you, it's sort of like they said, an Easter egg. I really like the idea of that because it does kind of aid you in that. So anyways. Yeah. I'm ranting now, but no, I liked it, man. I liked it because you know I think that shift in consciousness, which if everything follows up with that, with this idea that nine eleven was very much a, I think it's just it's not a coincidence, it's a synchronicity that that's when this film came out and that's what it was because that was really in a esoteric ritual of a shift change for sure. You know, because the veil was lifted after that very much, yeah, nothing- and then. Nothing was the same. Nothing was the same. It's just like the episode that we're in now, all around this 2012. And again, people are like, oh, but the dates are different. You're like, oh, but years are, you're talking like, this is the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you can't look at cycles are so much longer and there's transitions and everything. But I think that's, we're seeing the cycle and we're very much like seeing the end of the Piscean age to the age of Aquarius. And that's what we're kind of viewing right now. For sure. And that's something we're astrologically about and a part of. And I really think this is what he was talking about with the coming of this age. Mm-hmm. I, I think he saw the rise in exactly what we're seeing the rise in because controls in so many different places that it's never been before. Right. You know, so it's, it's, we're seeing this are on energy in so many aspects. So again, and we're, because we're so compartmentalized and people are tied down in certain aspects of their consciousness, if somebody doesn't cut all those ropes, they're with you, they're with you, and then they're like, oh, I can't go that far. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, so I just think this was really a foretelling of the dangers of this postmodern social Darwinism, Darwinism ideology that was being adopted. Yeah. You know, when we kind of, equality replaces virtue, you know, and not the equality of people, but the equality of, virtue almost so like you just do the the ends always justify the means yeah so as long as the ends are okay who cares what the means are and that's kind of this system that we see play out in front of us now you know the ends always justify the means and that's a very destructive demoralizing dehumanizing aspect of consciousness that grows and that's what we're kind of seeing and that's what we're seeing the it's the causal factor of really what's kind of being put up in our shared consciousness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. again he just knew it like that's why why siren's so scary this is why frodo's journey is such a difficult one because to overcome this kind of evil it will not only take a community it will only take a fellowship but it will also take a journey and the victory is going to come from maybe the smallest character Exactly. Right? The smallest, most innocent who you wouldn't think, because that's very much the David and Goliath story mm-hmm. of Frodo versus Siron. You know, that's really what they're, he's kind of pulling in there. And that's exactly how this internal spiritual revolution would happen. You know, it would come from the smallest. And I think it, it kind of represents, it just comes within. You have to make this journey yourself. Yep. Everybody has to go on that Frodo journey. Yep. No, it's even just initiating the journey. So it's so funny. Cause I think like what I think you just said was great. was like the David and Goliath analogy, because that's how we see each of us. doesn't matter what we're doing, what the path is that's led us to find our vocation and find like our passions. And however we categorize like our actual ego energy that we put some, you know, energy into for the better of ourselves we've been taught how to just serve ourselves not serve the greater, right? So when you start to serve the greater though, you kind of see that, you know, everyone was 
everyone is or everyone has been in the same spot you've been just like Frodo. So when you watch the movie, you're like, oh man, like you feel for the, for the individual, you understand that there is this unknown um, journey ahead. So there's no guarantee. They show you a lot of, you know, um, instances of just like his mortality and like his, his, um, you know, uh, his, the difficulties that he has to go through repetitively like he just Mm -hmm. it's not ever over you know what i mean and um but anyways in the end he's going up against the bigger energy so but he's never focused on that he's never once like sort of focused on just oh that's who i have to defeat is this all cni he fears it he knows it. he's seen it he's like connected with it obviously when he puts the ring on but he knows it's so much bigger than himself but he still doesn't abandon the mission because he knows it's so big he's like Mm -hmm. no i need to get to where i need to be for this moment in time what will happen along the way we don't know but i have to get there and that will of like being a little braver than you could probably talk yourself out of being you know because it's easy to talk yourself out of anything hard and i think that's always the trick too i think in our, our hero's journey especially in this society is that we have a lot of comforts already up front so then the way for us to sort of understand journeys is sacrificing. I think now that's more of the thing. And that's why you get so many people that are our age right now, just being like, Oh, I'm just living a minimalistic lifestyle Mm -hmm. because there's already the rejection of something that they most likely will purge later on. And I feel like Frodo kind of, again, back to talking him, uh, the character of, of, um, with the, with the movie and like how, how this, this whole book was written is it gives you that idea that if you do it individually, like Frodo, everyone's going on in this journey if we all come to the same common goal we will defeat this darker energy mm-hmm. you know what i mean but instead like i said the the journey is like almost like a fake <laughs> like mission on us like a circle around your own park where you're like you're gonna go far you're gonna go do this you're gonna do that but you just come right back you're just like oh i didn't really go that far and, and people just kind of play that role but at the end you get rewarded for this tiny little uh, journey that just circles back to where you started. Uh, you have to go beyond that. It's like not the one that's paved and is being told to you that you should walk on, but the one that just fears completely off direction. And that's again, what happens with Frodo. You know, I remember even when I was a kid watching it going like, what? Like he's got this tight little setup. They're like hanging out, having their fire and just like being a little village. And now he's got to just out of the sudden, like get, get your, get everything together. It's time. Hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, I hope that never happens. I can't remember internally feeling like, that would suck if that happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So like, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, great though, man. I like how you kind of alluded to the aspect too, because Frodo has that almost Zen mentality of one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're right. He never, like there's at certain points, he says it's like, it's too far. But for the most part, he's just kind of taking one step at a time. And we really see his departure. He almost has two departures. He has like a, almost a false start and then a true start. Right. Because he... You're right. Forgot that. Because remember, he's not supposed to destroy the ring first. He's supposed to just take it to the elves. Mm-hmm. And then it's when they're there that they're all yelling at each other in the fellowship, and he stands up and says, I'll take the ring, because they're already arguing about who's going to take the ring. Right. And Gandalf knows this, but he knows he can't force Frodo to do it. Right. And again, Fro- Gandalf being this like master politician just like kind of let the fight happen and he's just watching. And then once he like says it, you can kind of see he like closes his eyes and nods his head. Like he doesn't want to send Frodo on this, but he knows Frodo's the only he's one the that can one. do it. Yeah. And Frodo then though is protected by the fellowship. So they're, they're traveling for the rest of that movie. And then he gets the, the I forget this character's name, but he gets tempted and has Frodo alone and kind of tries to get the ring from him. So Frodo leaves and he knows he has to go on that journey by himself. He's right. like, this is, this is, it's just my burden to bear, which kind of shows the, the political, uh, like the, um, the importance of taking ownership of your own spiritual journey and, yeah. you know, being there for support and community with others, but not carrying your own bags, you know, depending on even how heavy they are, you really want to be able to carry your own bags. And then we see another beautiful scene of like Sam catching up to him and Sam, like just, Frodo's leaving on a boat and Sam just like goes into the water, even though he can't swim. Like he's literally sacrificing himself just to show him like, I will go on this journey with yeah. you. 
And then we get like this, we start to really see like this best friendship, which we've already seen, but just take it to like a whole new level of friendship. For sure. Right. And it almost completes the story of the fellowship because it's, it's not only the fellowship that, oh, I was doing, doing this because Gandalf told me to be in Sam's perspective, but like, I will give my life to protect you, Mr. Frodo. Right. Which is just a beautiful thing. So, um, yeah, it's just in regards to temptation, power, a foresight of the future, the death of the environment mm-hmm. was something that I think really bothered Tolkien. And we see that with like the beautiful animation of like the tree people. Oh, dude, Peter Jackson using New Zealand as like a way to connect to green mm-hmm. already with you as an, as an image. It's like, okay, this is what probably was being conveyed. And right. then to do the absent of that, when you see like just the destruction and fire, when like those, or, um, what do they, what do they call those? Oh, I know exactly orcs, what you're you know, talking like they, about. They, yeah. They're just coming out, you know, destroying and burning everything. You immediately feel it because you're like, oh, this is immediately the contrast or the duality here is is clear in your mind, mm-hmm. uh, which is super important. Uh, yeah. That that aesthetics of that film brings to you. Yeah, and I love how they show the birthing process of those things. You see them literally being birthed through fear. Oh yeah, that's it's so, so gnarly. Right. Yeah, and like one of them like is born and like kills the thing that was like helping, and like I just they like they don't stop it because yeah. they're like this is good, this is even better. Yeah, that the the hate that this the lack of light and that inversion of everything true, seeing what that manifest as. He, I just think Peter Jackson, obviously Tolkien did because he described it, is just unreal. Yeah, right. Yeah, you so. know, and and again, I, I just don't think this story is that far from home. I think this story has got so many parallels to where we find ourselves in. And again, this was an individual who studied patterns. So he wrote a story about this pattern, foreseed this new age, and we find ourselves in Middle Earth. Yeah. Well said, man. Right? Well said. Cool. Um, well, I'm excited how, how you're going to do the video now that we kind of have a, a conversation about right. no, this know, was, where we're coming from. You know? This is perfect, too, because... That was kind of the tough thing about the videos because I was like, well, you know, we could really break them down because almost like three different independent films, but I wanted to cover these main themes first. Mm-hmm. So this was awesome because then we'll kind of work through and we'll kind of take the films down piece by piece. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah so that's why things. I like the Sunday Funday. So this thing we've talked about before, Daniel and I, whether we film it or don't film it, it's really just about like being able to talk as we do when we're off air, just as friends and where these conversations even started before I like learning about the occult or learning about any kind of idea that we've already spoken about on the podcast, it always came from like, Hey man, so this deeper meaning that I'm feeling in this story, is that just me? It's like, Oh no, Daniel's like, and then luckily you really do have a great um, history background. So you could bring up a lot of things that I could understand when you would, if we did talk about anything, even if we said nothing about the occult when we were kids, you would just have to understand like, Oh, I think what they're doing here is, and I'm like, God, I never even thought of that. You know what Mm. I mean? Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that goes without saying, you know, there's many movies that we want to like break down. I know I've talked about Harry Potter once before, and we've talked about Christopher Nolan. We should, we should do one of, uh, on him and, you know, cause we definitely, Daniel and I always talk about movies we want to be making. Mm-hmm. So this is great to see examples of these major films that are made by these books that really resonated with generations across time. So I'm excited to see this this the video, you know. Yeah, I like how you brought up the Christopher Nolan one because even just in those movies, people always I see explanations of people trying to make for this because Batman really needs to be the villain in those movies, right? He's just like, no, like me, the villain. He wanted to make Harvey Dent light, so blame it on me. It's it's again a Luciferian story because we see Lucifer as this villain, and I'll make me the villain so they understand the light and mm-hmm. the darkness. It's just this beautiful thing. So I'm really excited to do the Batman one because you're you're really dealing where this is this occult film that we talked about today is more Druidic, Nordic kind of based with some obviously some Eastern mysticism in there as well. But when we look into Batman, it's gonna be more especially the Dark Knight, that that whole series will be more of like a Luciferian philosophy. And again, these they point to the same things, they see awesome. the same causes. It's just 
what what you express through and what you kind of understand. Yeah, dude, I I came to you um, when that movie came out because um, man, I got to thank my brother for a lot of the movies that I've seen uh, because he was always the one who's like, hey, if you got a minute, you should watch this. And I didn't want to watch Batman because I I just personally am not a huge fan. Um, sorry to any Marvel fans or anything, but I'm not I'm not a fan DC. of those of DC movies yeah, yeah. and I don't hate them. It's just, I don't like, you know? And so I just thought that that was for a long time for another, you know, time in my life. And my brother's like, no, you have to see this, this first one. And so I watched, uh, Batman begins mm. and just everything that was being sort of as, as a, the philosophy that he has to learn. And then, you know, the story of, of Bruce Wayne, we all know about, but I remember coming to you, I think when the Joker one came out, it was like around 08. And I was like, hey, man, so what's going on here? And then when the Dark Knight came out, we really got into it because you're like, this is what Bane's, you know, character really mm. represents. And like, this is how the people are false rising and so forth. And there's so many terms that they use. We'll get into it some other time. I, I don't want to give it all away now, but that's why I would come to you because then it's like, oh, this is the story of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm glad we did this one with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a, the great conversation. So first official Sunday fun day. Sunday fun day, man. That's fantastic. Um, anything else? See you next fun day. See you next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>